Good morning. You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official untapped podcast. Your inside look into what's happening in the untapped community and the world of beer. I'm John, and I'm excited about this episode. I'm excited about all episodes. We're interviewing one of my old <laughs> friends. We're drinking kind of an old friend. We're talking about Ooh. cartoons. It's the Brew Day episode. It's time to take the last five Beer 101s and combine them together in your kitchen while your kids watch in fear and amazement, while you create a beer that becomes more than just a beer. It becomes the ticket to your first brewery page on Untapped. Ooh, an exciting day. And I'm Harrison, and it's kind of my favorite kind of day today. It's, this is better than birthdays, better than Christmas, even better than French Toast Stick Day in the fourth grade a.k.a. every Thursday, it's Brew Day, or at least we're going to talk about it. Uh, and I'm excited to walk a mile in my old brewing boots with you all in today's episode. Hopefully my subpar memory doesn't make me sound like an old fool, but if you catch me saying, back in my day, that's a sure sign that it has indeed failed me and I'm scrambling for something to talk about uh, because I've forgotten what actually I should be talking about. But you know, let's forget about that. Let's just see what happens. Let's crack some grain and bring on the pain for Brew Day, baby. Someone turn up the Iron Maiden. Let's let's rock and roll. <laughs> but first, Drinking Socially is released every other Wednesday morning. It can be found at podcast.untap.com. Or anywhere that you listen to podcasts or even watch them on YouTube. Mm-hmm. We've got an exciting beer lined up for our first beer on this episode. Uh, exciting for me, Harrison, probably anybody that's had it before. Uh, this beer is kind of like a Christmas tradition or just uh, drinking. Tra- Anyways, Boddington's Pub Ale. It's technically an English bitter at 4.6 ABV. It comes with a, a nitrogenated widget in the can, which Harrison is excitedly opening up right now. Um, this beer's been enjoyed by drinkers for over 200 years in England. It's got a creamy head. Its, it's nickname is actually the Cream of Manchester. Cream um, of Manchester. Or you can even say it like an Argyle sweater, as Harrison <laughs> does. Uh, renowned for its golden color, full-bodied flavor. The beer has been through its share of owners and ownerships, but I am super excited to tear this one open, Harrison. Mm. That looks beautiful. The cascading's happening in this dusty old glass. Um, ooh. So funny you say, right. So it smells like all my dad's cardigans. That was the first. My nose. That's, man, I love this beer. I used to drink this a lot in college, actually, but it's been a hot minute. So um, let's get in there. And I opened it, and the, immediately the beer is just flying out of the glass. So this is... Hmm. Yep, same here. I've got uh, what they would call a spill. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll just out. hide that and hide, hide, tuck it away for right. later. The car wash is open for business. Yeah, wood um, loves to absorb beer. Yeah. <laughs> right, it makes it bigger and stronger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ooh. All right, well, I already had my first sip. Man, this is it's so funny. How a beer can unlock memories, but I feel like is all we do here to talk about. We talk about. I almost said it. I almost said it back in my day. Um, already, stuff. I know way earlier than I thought. Uh, but this is, oh man, this is great. I remember the first time I opened. I had one of these beers. It was in college. I opened it up and it like started spraying all over the place because of the widget in it. 
And this beer, even more than Guinness, I think, like when you open it up, it just is like ready to go. It just starts flying out of it. It always has. And I remember being in a band. I remember the first time it happened, I got covered in it. And then every successive, <laughs> every successive Boddington's that night, I, uh, I would open it over the sink in our bathroom because I like didn't know any other way to mitigate the, the foam. But this is uh, first sip, graham crackery beer. It's great. It's looking good. What about you, John? Jump in there. Get that first sip going. Let me know your thoughts. Mm. That's a oh, that's a big sip. Uh, you can you could probably you could probably kill the whole thing without even noticing it. Yeah, Ooh. it's you're right, graham crackery, uh, but not there's there's enough flavor in here to know you're drinking a beer, but there's not so much that it kind of becomes overpowering. There's a reason this right. beer is so damn good. Yep. It's almost like a honey note, too, in my second sip. Got like a bit of a dash of honey there. Mmm. Yeah, and the cream that comes uh, yeah. uh, on the top of this beer. I mean, if every oh, beer so you've bad. drank is a cupcake, this is a cupcake with frosting on it. I don't know what... A, that's a, a muffin? cupcake, right? Is it, no, that's okay. the other way, right? <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> this is a hostess cupcake with frosting on the inside as well. Uh, a ding dong or a whatever they call <laughs> a yodel. I don't even know. I'm mess- now I'm missing Drake's and Hostess together, like some amateur. Excuse my, excuse me for any confectionery snobs out there. Um, this is great. Oh man. And I think it'll 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 be the perfect beer to accompany accompany us mm-hmm. uh, down this kind of journey in, in part one of drinking socially here. Oh yeah, we had a lot of fun last episode, kind of talking about what cars would some of our favorite beers be if they were mm-hmm. cars. Um, and we had a lot of fun seeing your answers on, on Twitter and Instagram as well. So I want to pick that up with Harrison. Yes. In uh, what's quickly becoming my favorite segment, um, there's no name for it, but Harrison, let's switch it up for okay. episode 18. Um, yes. 90s cartoons. Sure. That's cool. They're mm-hmm. iconic. Um, so what I'll do is I'll spit out uh, a cartoon from the 90s. If Perfect. you don't know it, please just say, I don't know <laughs> that one, and then we'll get ready off the show. Uh, but right. <laughs> if, uh, if you do know it, uh, I'll be looking for, like, maybe not what beer, but, like, what beer style would that 90s cartoon oh, be? Oh, all right. We're going to flip the, the idea on its head a bit. I love it. All right, cool. Yeah, I'm down for this. I've got some for you. This is easy for me to pull 90s cartoons. So hopefully we haven't doubled up and we're thinking of different ones, but we'll find out uh, as we go, as they say. Beautiful. I'm glad I'm going first, Uh, Harrison. The first cartoon I have for you is Tiny Toons. Oh, all right. All right. I'm going to try not to laugh the entire time we think about this as memories come back of ridiculous episodes. A lot of Tiny Toons ones. But this one, I think it's, without overthinking it, it's a Tiny Toons. It's a Session IPA, like slightly mighty from Dogfish Head or pick your favorite uh, session IPA out there. It's a not as big as the 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 IPA counterpart that would be Looney Tunes to Tiny Tunes, but it's okay. still just as packed full of fun. And perhaps you could enjoy even more of Tiny Tunes and Looney Tunes. That's that's saying a lot. I'm a big Foghorn Leghorn fan, so if there was more Tiny Foghorn Leghorn, maybe 
I'd be I'd be watching more Tiny Tunes. But to start, Session IPA Tiny Tunes, I think that's kind of self-explanatory. Um, and uh, let's let's give you one, John. How about uh, how about Rugrats? There we go. Never heard of it. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rugrats. The first thing that comes to mind is like collaboration, uh, a collaboration beer, which isn't necessarily a style, but I feel like they were always working together to oh, okay. thwart yeah, someone's right. That's plans. That's a good point. You're right. Uh, but a, a great layup uh, and opportunistic move by a, a brewery. There's a brewery out in Concord, North Carolina. I met them yes. at the Untapped Festival last year. Uh, mm-hmm. 26 acres. Their most popular beer on Untapped is a New England IPA called Rectar Juice. Rectar so, Juice. Uh, there's a there's an Easter egg in there. Um, <sighs> let's just it. turn. Let's just watch. No, uh, next one, Harrison. <laughs> um, All right. Yeah. What do you got? I have to imagine you're familiar with this one, Animaniacs. Oh yeah, this is another one. This is classic Saturday morning on the WB or whatever. Watching this. So right away, I think uh, like a fruited Berliner, like the the Aloe Eichbin Berliner series from uh, Mikeller. They did all the raspberry, all different fruited ones. But pick again, pick your favorite because there's so much going on in those beers, much like the show. Um, and also like the show, you can be a few episodes or beers in and not even realize it. I mean, those those beers are like three percent or four percent or so. So it's also kind of holds up to binging a few of them. Um, which is easy to do with Animaniacs. It kind of just one episode goes into the next and the next, and before you know it, your mom is yelling at you to get outside and do something with your life. Uh, and I'm only eight. What is it? Yeah. I, I? I'm only 27. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> right. Next year. Um, yeah. But uh, that, that's that's what I got for Animaniacs. All right. Here's All right. So let's do the see where we land on this one, John. The Simpsons, which is multi-decade and generational now, but let's let's jump on The Simpsons. Where does that? What's the first style that comes to mind when you think of The Simpsons? Holy cow! Okay, so iconic cartoon, The Simpsons. They've done everything, um, mm-hmm. so it'd be hard right. to kind of you. You make a good point. It's hard to put it into one category, but where I think. Where I where I can put The Simpsons is just that as a classic American cartoon. Am I allowed to say that? I, my mom would yeah. disagree, but I think even she watches <laughs> The Simpsons now. Right. And so for that, I'm going to say it's an American cream ale. It's in Ooh. almost everyone's fridge. It's it's good. Mm. It's there when you need it. In uh, that's where that's where I'm going to go with The Simpsons. Just right. a classically good cartoon. Yeah, and I, I'm sure, yeah, right, that's good. I wonder if, I'm, I'm sure breweries have made the Duff beer. I feel like I've seen it before, but I always imagine that as a cream ale anyway. So that's, I think you've nailed it there, John. Thanks for the vote of confidence. I forgot about Duff, man. Um, <laughs> all right, let's go a little bit more, uh, a little bit more rogue, Harrison. But I, I feel like also this commercial makes, or cartoon makes me think of you. Um, uh, okay. Pink, pinky in the brain. <laughs> Oh my gosh, right. I constantly have the inner dialogue, not monologue, of Pinky and the Brain in my own brain. You're right, kind of guiding me through decisions and what would Pinky do? Would follow his heart? What would Brain do? He would make fun of Pinky for following his heart. Um, so for this, talk about collaborations earlier with Rugrats, they're obviously always collaborating, although uh, Pinky may not know it most of the time. So a cool combination 
of beer styles was when the IPL was kind of taking over the beer world for a hot minute a couple couple years ago, kind of comparing the, and I'm thinking like Haponius Union from Jack's Abbey, but again, pick your favorite, because um, you got like the classic sophisticated lager, which would be brain in this case, and it's paired up with overflowing hop madness, which would be pinky. Uh, and for me, that combo works. I mean, the first time I had that style, I was like, you know, get a little hesitant of what is this going to be like and is it going to be weird? Loved it. Wish I saw more of it. Uh, just like the show, the combo Pink in the Brain works, at least for the audience. I'm sure for Brain, every day is a new nightmare and it's horrible that he's stuck with Pinky <laughs> in that cage. If only it was some other mouse, he could, you know, rule the world by now. But for us watching, oh, it's hilarious and I can, I can drink to that. Um, that's a, I gotta watch that. It's been a hot minute since I watched that show. I gotta get back. Uh, these are all, and what I'm doing this weekend, um, or later. All right, John. Let's finish up with a classic of my or my one of my favorites. Uh, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give it to you. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Let's go. Let's do it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That is growing up for me. Action packed, adventure packed. Largely mm-hmm. the reason my brother and I had to watch TV in separate rooms. Um, <laughs> The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are perhaps an iconic hero. They rose from the sewers to defend humanity against the right. Shredder. At least like the pizza, they they were. Oh man, that that cartoon was amazing. The comic book was great. I yeah. want to follow me on this. I think yep. your I, IPL to Pinky and the Brain was masterfully done. Uh, for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I want to give them the New England IPA. Mm, all right. And I, yes. The, the reason for this is the, the way the Ninja Turtles kind of intri- came from a, a maybe even a failing comic book enterprise into right. one of the biggest cartoons ever. The New England IPA became ubiquitous and helped introduce so many people to craft beer the ones i don't like beer now even you know not everyone loves the new england ipa train or trend but it has helped more people get into or excited about craft beer so i think i'd be comfortable handing new england ipa to the ninja turtles and then um one kind of rogue bit of trivia that lives in my head is that sean astin uh, one time voiced Raphael for the Ninja oh. Turtles. And that's a great segue. Maybe we do a Lord of the Rings beer mm. rapid fire coming up soon. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea, John. Right. To do something a little bit, uh, yeah, like that. When As soon as I said Ninja Turtles, I thought Secret of the Ooze and what hazier, oozier beer is there than the juicy New England IPA. It's a different kind of ooze, but. Can make some people out there a superhero, or at least think they are momentarily. So I'm I'm right there with you on uh, on New England IPAs. I think that's spot on um, for the the heroes in a half shell. This has been great going going back. I just have so many. Now I'm thinking of like right how many cereals I used to eat watching these things. There's all kinds. We're having fun with this uh, this rabbit. I hope you guys are enjoying it. So let us um, you know know if you are comment on. Twitter, untap, wherever you guys are already engaging with us, let us know if this is something you're digging. But we're, we're certainly having fun, so I hope you guys are uh, are digging it as well. But let's jump back into body tins real quick because we're we're I'm just, just inhaling this beer. It's um, a small can. I know, right, right, right. <laughs> um, get some quick facts on it from Untap. So uh, as I'm looking at this, so it's their their top checked in beer is their pub ale, which is what we are enjoying right now. 
um, and it makes it has makes up more than two hundred seven thousand of their two hundred thirty thousand total check-ins. So it's easily <laughs> their most popular beer. Uh, one hundred and forty-eight thousand unique. It carries uh, a three point three bottle cap rating, and um, yeah, one hundred and thirty-two thousand ratings, which is pretty cool too. Which is a lot. So a lot of those check-ins are also um, helping <coughs> move the beer up the charts. And you know, for um, for such a like a, a storied beer, um, you know, it's it's really right. It's like you said, it's been around more than two hundred years. It's Delicious little kind of um, backstory behind it. We dug around online and kind of learn more a bit about what is in this beer and of the recipes we could find. It's it's pretty simple, although the patent black malt. So most of the recipes you saw two row British, which is pretty standard. Crystal forty, which is going to give it some of like a golden color that it holds. But the black patent malt will add like a nice roasted character to it, which is probably what we're getting. That's a cool way to do that. Just a little bit of it in this beer, um, and then tons of Fuggles, which is a, a pretty classic British hop, and some uh, East Kent Goldings, too, supposedly. So, um, yeah, it's a it's rad. People are enjoying the heck out of it, uh, obviously, on Untapped. It's kind of everywhere. I mean, it is um, it is like when someone says, you know, British beers, I think of this and Fuller's and, you know, Bombardier, kind of like all in the same moment. Um, and... Uh, I'm excited to have it on the podcast because it's certainly I have a lot of stories that revolve around it. I saw one of our friends too, one of my friends on um, listen to this on Untapped, Paul who checked it in. Paul Zahn checked it in uh, on August 9th. Uh, he's having it at the Rose and Crown Pub. Uh, it looks like outside on this really cool square. I imagine somewhere in the UK. But he says he mixed it with Guinness. And it's called a bumblebee when it's mixed with Guinness, which I didn't even know. That makes total sense, though. But he's uh, he's digging it. That's a sweet tip and trick right there that I hadn't heard. An awesome photo from Paul, wherever the Rose and Crown pub is. It looks like, you know, it's a block away from buying a wand and an owl and moving to Hogwarts. This is like a magical place wherever you are, Paul. This is great, man. <laughs> I wish I could. Uh, wish I could be there. Oh, it looks like. Listen to this. this is even better. I'm right. He is right next. To, he's actually this place, the Rosencrown Pub and Dining Room. This is hilarious and also horrible. Is part of the Taste of Epcot International Food and Wine thing. It's he's in Florida, but they've done such a good job as, <laughs> as, as they would, as far as I can tell. Even the clouds. It's a cloudy Florida day. This is too. This is this must be staged. But this is a. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> green screen check-ins for uh, oh, Epcot. Right. But he is right next to Harry Potter land. It's just like a block away from where he is. So I was more right than I knew. But uh, but keeping it authentic with some, some body dins there. This is awesome. That's, um, that's I, I want more of this beer. I think this is a, uh, oftentimes as ubiquitous as it is, it's a good way to kind of introduce yourself to a nitrogenated beer and oh, yeah. the texture, the creaminess that comes with that. For me, uh, any Saranac disruption is on my Mount Beermore because mm-hmm. of its amazing mouthfeel, to use a word that I dislike. Um, <laughs> but you're right. Let's take a quick second. I want to jump over. I know, Harrison, you've got some real specifics about this beer, but mm-hmm. a quick catch up on what Untapped has been doing uh, for Untapped Media, Untapped.tv. 
uh, is getting a lot more traffic than it was when we first launched it, which is great to see. Definitely let us know if you have any feedback about that project. I know last episode, Harrison uh, debuted the Top Hop Spot uh, and featured the Centennial Hop. And then, thank you, Harrison, I actually went on and wrote a blog post about that, uh, that hop and kind of tag some of the beers you can find on Untapped to drink through that. I know you've got another one coming up, Harrison. We're, it, it, the goal initially with this top hop spot, you're going to cover the, the sea hops and get That's us through right. that. That's right. So, yeah, yeah, you'll probably catch on by the end of this episode today, but I'm going through the seven seas hops to start. Uh, so we'll cover those, then run through some other um, you know, classic Hops move into some of the New World ones, um, yeah, and just kind of work our way through them all. So um, every episode or so, we'll be uh, we'll be covering at least um, one hop. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Another uh, cool thing that was part of Untapped.tv is uh, Greg Avola, who kind of does most of our interviews on that. Uh, just interviewed Julia Hers. She's outstanding. She she's a writer. She speaks eloquently about. Uh, beer, basically educating people on behalf of independent breweries here in the U.S. Right. Uh, check out untapped.tv to go back and watch that interview or see what's coming up. Uh, those yeah. of you that are drinking this Bonningtons in the U.K., Greg, uh, a couple of weeks ago, did a U.K. kind of spotlight interview yeah, series. Yeah, that was amazing. It was great fun and great to kind of engage with uh, the our, the people that make me jealous of all the <laughs> siren and the beers you can get across the pond that we can't uh. find over here. Um, and speaking of the UK, Harrison, is London still the most active untapped city in the world in 2020 so far? It is indeed. So far it is, yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, that's uh, The beer mile... Is an American like the beer mile to me? That's my Epcot. That I'd imagine that helps London stay <laughs> so active on the check-in scene. Um, yeah. Those of you that live in London, I'm jealous. Uh, yeah, those man. of you that dream about it, check out the blog yeah. on Untapped. Uh, Hannah just wrote an article on there on uh, the top ten trending beers. Uh, in the UK, um, kind of tag those where you can find them on Untapped if you want to make yourself jealous. Um, but check out the blog. Hannah's done some contributions there. Harrison, Greg as well. It's it's starting to get a lot more entertaining. Uh, no educational. There Maybe both to oh, read through sure. it. Educational, uh, edutaining. There's some there's some words, some cool <laughs> hybrid there that someone smarter than me has already discovered. But yeah, infotainment. That's what. Uh, that's it. What, that's, that's the that's one. It. <laughs> um, not just 19.99. We'll cut off the first half payment if you order now. And <laughs> That's right. Throw in a free beanbag chair and a bowl of soup. I'm All sold. Right, the, <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't eat soup in a beanbag chair. Don't ever do that. <laughs> Unless you want to, right? Hurt yourself. Uh, hot, hot, hot. All right, cool. So let's jump back into Biden's for a minute. We've got some um, quick history about it and some cool notes that I, as we were going through this, thought were would be interesting. Uh, First up, high-level Boddington's. It was a regional brewery in Manchester originally, um, and they had pubs all over kind of the northwest of the U.K., and they're best known for their bitter, uh, Boddington's bitter, referred to as bodies by kind of commonly straw golden, hoppy beer. Um, it was actually one of the first cans uh, to be packaged that contained these widgets that we kind of all now know. Uh, Noah, but that was gave that really creamy draft style head, even out of the can. And in the 
um, 90s, there was a really cool marketing campaign behind it where they referred to it as the cream of Manchester and let that, the head of the beer kind of um, take on a, a life of its own, which I thought was fun and funny and cool. And I uh, certainly get it. Um, one of the most kind of interesting things about this beer, though, is that there's two versions of it. So if you're in the UK and you're having it like on a hand pump or draft or you're nitrogenated or wherever, you know, you're, you're grabbing this thing, it's probably the draft bitter, which is about 3.5% ABV. So it's less alcoholic than uh, than this one. Um, uh, yeah, so um, yeah, even dropped, it used to be even a little more alcoholic, 3.8, but they brought it down in 2008 uh, to just 3.5%, which is my sweet spot. Um, so that's pretty cool. That's not what we're having today. We're having the pub ale, which is like the, the version they create for export and, um, to be enjoyed outside, uh, the UK. It's also in the UK is Manchester gold. So there's like a different branding there, but they're kind of two different versions of almost the same beer. Although certainly, um, certainly different, uh, uh not just ABV wise. There's, you know, the flavor style for profile rather, it's going to be a little bit different too so I've, every time i have this i love it and then want to know like or have the draft version of a kind of side by side um and uh, uh haven't yet but again someday we'll get over there john and uh and enjoy those things together very much so i i would love to i mean here one of the things i i i aspire to is to be able to drink you know, like pumpkin, the pumpkin beer. I want to drink a, a this year, a last year, and a year yep. before and taste the difference. Mm-hmm. In the UK and in so many other areas, a cask, cask ale is a real thing. Uh, a real ale is a cask ale. Either way, um, you would have the opportunity to kind of taste a Manchester Gold right onto the can, the export version, and then go to a pub and have a cask condition version and uh-huh. get oh, not necessarily a vertical, but be able to taste... Right. Two very similar beers, two different methods, and really kind of feel and taste the difference that makes in a beer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So a pretty exhaustive spec sheet on Boddington's. My overall on this, uh, if I compare it with other nitrogenated English bitters, it's the only one I've ever had. If I compare Mm -hmm. it with other nitrogenated beers, I mean, it's great. I would recommend if you haven't had this beer, go out and try it. Um, Yep. And I can tell just from drinking this, I'm going to be setting down a path of ESBs and best bitters. I'm going to be looking for whatever Fullers and, you know, Bombardier I can get my hands on over the next couple of weeks because now I'm just going to want more of something like this. Uh, it always happens when I have this beer as I kind of just wish I was right whisked away to some whatever cool studio recording a Thin Lizzy album somewhere in the past. Ooh, yes. Drinking this beer. Uh, whatever. Time travel for another episode. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned Fuggles is is the primary bittering Mm. hop in this beer. Um, We've got Cascade on deck for... That's right. Tell me, man. Tell me about Cascade and why I should should be looking for it. What is Cascade? Yeah, so, and great that we brought up Fuggle and that it's in Boddington's because the parentage, the lineage of Cascade is from Fuggle's uh, a Russian Sarah Brianka hop, which I I don't even know if anyone uses it anymore. And then like a wild unnamed male hop brought us Cascade. And Cascade um, is one of the most popular hops in the world. It actually makes up a tenth of all the hops grown um, in the U.S. So it's in crazy demand. And it's in everything from pale ales to 
Heineken actually uses a lot of Cascade, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, developed by the USDA uh, through the breeding program at Oregon State University uh, in the 60s. It uh, wasn't released to like the brewing world until the 70s and was first used commercially in 1975 by Anchor Brewing when they made their uh, IPA their first brewery to actually use Cascade and um, on a commercial level. Um, really kind of helped establish it as like the hop for American pale ales. And this is traditionally grown in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S., hence the name, and after the, the, the Cascade Mountain Range that runs from the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. into British Columbia. Um, and uh, there are now, though, variants of this. So just like kind of wine grapes, the terroir, you take the rhizomes, which are like the roots the, of these hops, and put them somewhere else in some other kind of soil and different kind of rain and climate, you're going to get a different product and slightly different or sometimes very different. Um, there's an Australian version that's really popular uh, all over the world in brewing and New Zealand variety as well. Both of them kind of more grapefruit forward. Um, we talked about Centennial being really grapefruity last time. And Cascade is, but not quite as much pronounced. However, if you grab some of these New Zealand versions, you may see it as uh, Tahiki. I'm probably saying that wrong. Uh, hops, that's another, um, they basically rebranded New Zealand has the Cascade Hops there as a new species because of how different it is, uh, which is cool. Um, you'll be getting more more grapefruit flavors. But traditionally, um, it's got like a flowery, almost spicy, kind of citrus-like quality Cascade does. And there is a, you know, the grapefruit nose definitely comes in. Um, it's good for flavor and aroma, so it does have high alpha acids, not as high as Centennial, um, but high enough where you could use it to bitter your beer and have bearing components to it, use it for flavor, all that cool stuff. And a fun fact about this beer is that in like the hop farm farmer circle, every year they're all competing for something called the Cascade Cup, which is given out to the farmers that uh, that kind of produce the best crop of Cascade hops each year, which I was really cool to just kind of, you know, have a little fun with it, but also be working towards something and be celebrated by your peers just for doing a great job of making, you know, one of the most popular hops in the world. And in terms of substitutions, Centennial's one, Amarillo, I've, I've seen Columbus too. Um, a few more, the Mount Hood actually is one as well. They get talked about a lot with, um, with Cascade as being very similar. Uh, so, and I've, I've actually, we had a beer that used to we had to many times swap out Mount Hood for Cascade and vice versa just because of supply chain issues many years ago. Um, and beers with it, the first one that comes to mind is always Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale. It's kind of, as we said on a couple couple different podcasts, kind of like the liquid liquid Cascade hop. Um, but some other ones are Anchor's Liberty IPA, Trogue's Perpetual IPA, the dry hop with a lot of Cascade. And then one of my favorite all-time beers I don't get enough of is Bear Republic's Racer 5 IPA has a lot of the sea hops in it. Um, and so check out our blog post. I'm going to put up another post about this on untapped.com slash blog. A little more information so you can learn more about Cascade um, as you read about it and um, want to learn more about it. And again, we're kind of keep building up this uh, all this this database about hop information and start keep sharing with you guys and uh, on top of the beers that are in them, and and have some fun with it. This is great so far, though. Harrison, that's incredible. Um, I love, I love hearing about these hops and the history and the flavor, and how sometimes a Cascade hop is a Mount Hood hop, and as a drinker, I don't even know the difference. Right. Um, but more so, like 
being able to tie these beers, the ones you mentioned, Trogues Perpetual, Anchors mm. Liberty, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, Bears Pub, uh, Racer Number no. Five. These are like yep. iconic classic beers and kind of yeah. point point to where Cascade came from. Mm. Um, that's it. That's it for my Bonningtons. That's it for part one. No. We're going to come back here in just a minute and drink another beer that Harrison has shared with me. And I'm really excited to crack this one open on yep. what's becoming kind of a sessionable episode. Yeah, uh, exactly right. A nice UK-inspired sessionable episode. But yeah, we're going to jump at the ad break, listen to what we got to say there, and we'll be back with beer number two. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, more. Depending on how hot or cold you are, go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code PODCAST when you check out. That'll get 20% off anything you order. That's store.untapped.com. Use the coupon code PODCAST. 20% off for you. Plus, it lets them know that you guys are listening, and we love that here. All right. We are back. It is beer number two, and we are drinking Gathered Friends from Wise Man Brewing, one of my favorite breweries. Every time I have a beer from them, I think, these guys get me, which I don't know what that really means, but... I mean, every, every beer I have, it's like, yes, this is what I was hoping this beer would be. So I'm pumped to drink their Irish stout, their dryer stout. It's one of my favorite uh, styles. This one um, coming in at about 4.9% ABV with 35 IBUs on it. Um, and the quick notes about it, much like the Irish themselves, blesses the gift of gab and always having a good crack. I don't know how to say that. Crack? Crake? Croak? Crack. Crack? Uh, right, good. Yep. This dry Irish stout exudes personality and is the perfect accompaniment to good conversation. Pleasing highlights of bittersweet chocolate, dark roast coffee, and a dry finish all combine for a great time. And then quoted is an Irish blessing that says, May the roof above us never fall in, and may the friends gathered below it never fall out, which I like. And that's kind of Irish blessings are great. Right, and that's their thing, is they have a quote for every beer they make, hence the wise man brewing the they grab a quote for each beer from some either an author, in this case, a kind of classic Irish blessing, um, and one of the fun things about them. So you'll kind of learn a little bit every time you have a wise and brewing too, and be introduced maybe to some new philosophy or some new kind of thinker, which is always, always fun. Um, but look at this guy, man. I mean, this is a big old puffy. I poured it out like a beast. Mine's got like huge bubbles in it. Yep. Yep. Oh, um, man. I don't think I can get them to show up on the camera, but I mean, it's dark. Um, it's just as dark as any stout mm. I've poured into a cup in the last six months. Mm. Uh, what, what did you say? The ABV on this is 4.9. This is 4.9, which is good, but it's even high for like an Irish stout. I'd love like a 3.9, but I mean, I'm not going to say no to this. I, I'll say yes a couple times probably. Let's get in here. Ooh, yep. It's smoke for me. First sip, it's mm, almost sip. smoky, right? Yep. It's like smoky yep. beef jerky, tobacco. Yes, exactly. Right, a little bit of motor oil in there, but um, 
I'd give away, yeah, a lot of smoke, smoke roast, boom, boom. What I really like about this beer is that, so stouts are usually like, I think it could be coffee forward, chocolate forward, smoky, roasty. I think this one, from these first sips, it's very, as we kind of said, like smoky, but it kind of like hits all the marks for me. And even a bit as it warms up, it'll kind of change a bit and some more things will float to the, float to the top. But this is, oh man, I just love this style. It's just a great I, kind of beer. Just like I've kind of progressed from drinking a, a 7% IPA at 4 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon and thinking that was regular. And it, no offense, it is. It was for me. Um, and then I kind of moved into session IPAs and realized that was a little bit easier on me. The I, I look at a dry Irish stout as a session stout. Uh, oh, yeah. I know it's not necessarily a, a BJCP style or a term, but right. when I see dry oh, Irish, yeah. I think this is a stout. I can enjoy all those flavors that I get from a, a big, beautiful 10 percenter, right. but I can, I can drink it casually. I can function afterwards. I know. That's a big, yeah, that's a, obviously, as we've said in many, many podcasts, a big plus for us is being able to have more than one beer, sit down for a session with friends, kind of drink from lunch through dinner. Through the middle <laughs> quite, of the night. Quite literally, on the last episode, we drank lunch in Black is Beautiful, and I, right. I got done recording, and I was like, all right, let's go right. out to the living room and dance. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm not going to do the dishes. I'm going to throw all the dishes away. I don't want to... No, no responsibility tonight. Chores That's are just... silly. <laughs> I love it. I know, right? So this... Yeah, but this one's... Oh, man. And I love these. this style of beer in the summer... Like that's a life hack that maybe only I enjoy. I'm a big coffee head too, a bit. I become one because of my, my wife is, and this is like a like a ice cold brew iced coffee. That's a beer. So if you're like going after that, that's the itch you want to scratch. Perfect. Jump on the Irish you know stout train. It's always kind of made me happy the same way a cold brew would. But instead of getting jacked up, I'm kind of getting chilled out, which is. What we should be doing at this That's time. a great t-shirt slogan. What, <laughs> what I, when I, like, I remember not long ago, although who, what the heck is time, uh, <laughs> we'll say half a decade ago, I remember uh, beer distributors telling me like, oh, you know, I, you know, you love Brooklyn Black Ops and, and Brooklyn Black Note Stout and those would do really well for me. You should try selling Brooklyn's Dry Irish Stout, mm. and I remember saying like nobody wants to drink a four percent stout, man. Right. Um, turns right out I was time. wrong. Yeah. Well. It, 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 it would have been, I think it would have been much harder to sell. But I think it was also sometimes the phrasing like Imperial Stout. You think sure. Stormtrooper sure. and, yep. and, and this beautiful big heavy beer, Dry Irish Stout. Well, right. And it is, right. It, right. It, Right. It shouldn't be. It's it's not dry. It's honestly the dryness that I that I associate it with is like I can drink this and at the end of my sip the flavor kind of halts. It doesn't linger like it would with a with a big huge lactose imperial. Am right. I am I far from the truth on that, Harrison? When they say dry Irish, like what is it? Where does that come from? Sure. Well, I mean, for for this, it's. I mean, it 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 does finish drier than a big imperial stout or a lot of other beers, and a lot of time that's due to the um, like lactic acid. Whether you're getting that from the malt you're putting in there, um, or throwing some lactic acid at the end of the boil or whatever, it, it really helps dry it out. 
um, and uh, and gives kind of that right, like almost like a like you would right, that, like a tanniny feeling on your tongue that almost cleanses the palate at the same time, giving it a little bit of a, a zip or a, a zap uh, uh, there. So um, I've made not many of them. I made a few um, in my time, but uh, but had a smart brewer tell me that, that one of their Irish stouts that I really liked, they did put lactic acid in it, and that's what really kind of contributed to the... Um, the Right, it, it's dry, but again, that's it's almost like it's it's misleading. It's still a beer. It's not like you're going to be parched after drinking it. It's still liquid, so it just happens to kind of trick your tongue a little bit, um, kind of like a coffee would. Very, very similar experience where you know there's a bitterness there that's desirable um, if you're if you're a fan of black coffee, um, just like in this beer. But it's a uh, yeah. I mean, it's oh man, it's it's so it's so good. Mm. I like that we've jumped into the UK either directly or by proxy today, John. This is making me think of lots of cool bands and things. Who knows? This this was an accidental blessing with the dry Irish. Mm-hmm. Um, Harrison, I remember you dropping this off at my house maybe three weeks, four weeks ago. Um, Something like that. And just, you know, uh, oh, enjoy this at your leisure. And, you know, we both instantly were like, wait, this should be on the podcast. This would be a cool yeah. beer to talk about. Yeah. You just don't uh, see it as much as you, you know, as I wish. Because, again, it's, I have so many memories of being like on a hot street at a table outside of some bar in Philadelphia, just sweating in the June or July heat, sun coming down, the asphalt cooking you from underneath, and just drinking. It was that it was called a Riley Stout from Sly Fox Brewing Company, which is like a three point seven or three point nine percent dry Irish Stout that tasted like the best espresso you've ever had. Ooh. That's a beer, and it was and it's all only served on nitro uh, in the bars and uh, restaurants around Philadelphia. And it's uh, every time that's one of those beers we've said this about a couple beers in this podcast. But that's one of the beers every time I see it. I don't care what else is on. They just tapped a cask of Pliny the Elder. I'll get to you in a moment. I'm going to have the O'Reilly Stout first because <laughs> I need that. I, I want to go back to those hot days when um, that beer was like just a revelation. So this is definitely some some notes of that, some some memories coming back from, from those and that's, hot gross days. Yeah. That point you kind of speak to is something that I think – Maybe every day, if not every other day, you know, during my regular job at Untapped, I'm speaking with brewers or taproom managers and bar managers, and it comes up so frequently, like, we don't want to sell a stout in the summer, but at the same point, actually, we do. There are a lot of people that'll (laughs) drink a stout in the summer, and for some reason... Like there is in the winter time, you know, we we drink a pumpkin, a Christmas beer, a winter warmer that we don't see in the summer. But in the summer, everybody gets this idea that stouts are to be overlooked, and I I don't I don't get it. I'm not going to drink a, a 12% stout after mowing my lawn. I'm not going to drink a 12% right. IPA after mowing my lawn. That's just right. a big flavorful beer, but. Right. If you happen to be fortunate enough to have a place you can go inside in this air conditioning, I don't see a reason why stouts in the summer aren't more celebrated. There's great fruits that come out in the summer that lend themselves to a stout. And I have campfires in the summer that lends right. themselves to the right. smokiness of this beer. Yeah. What, 
What yeah. do you think on that, Harrison? Oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, it's it's just a mindset and once you kind of, you know, get on the other side of what a stout actually is, especially a dry Irish that's, again, more sessionable and it is refreshing when you, if you think about it like a, like it's almost like a coffee experience. And, I mean, even if you don't, history is kind of on your side there, John. I mean, for a long time, so when I think of the summer, I think of seafood and the beach and stouts and seafood is like, you know, right, ham and rye bread or whatever. It's like a great, it's a classic, it's cla- It's classic. You know, oyster stouts don't exist by accident. It's a, it was, it was kind of inevitable that eventually someone puts some of the seafood they enjoy with a stout in a stout. Um, so, and I think for a while, I'm not sure if it's still the case, but for a very long time, the most consumed beer on Jamaica, a Caribbean island, was Guinness's Extra Draft. Um, so you're talking about a, an island that, predominantly, you know, is, is dealing with seafood and, and living off, you know, food from the sea all the time. And that's a beer that isn't being enjoyed there. They have a brewery down in Grenada, I believe, Guinness does. It also helps having a, a source of it nearby. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've always associated stouts with, right, with seafood. It did take, it was like a, it was like a switch to the one on off of my brain. I think O'Reilly's dry iron stout really helped me. As soon as I had it on like a hot day in the summer, I was like, wait a second, I'm looking at this all wrong. This is just like a coffee kind of like experience that's complimenting my food. I mean, it, was, it, it might have even happened in college, actually, with Guinness. We would drink Guinness more than most people would in college. We'd get it if someone had a couple extra bucks, get a case of Guinness for the weekend and kind of treated it like a, like a light beer. A lot of people approach Guinness as like a big, thick thing. That doesn't really happen anymore because we have Imperial Stouts and kind of know what a big thick beer experiences like um but my friends and i for just out of luck or whatever always kind of looked at it as a like a, a meal but a light beer uh because it's very you know again low in alcohol and it's and as soon as you kind of you spend a night drinking guinness all night and you're like wait a second this is not i feel great well i feel i don't feel like i'm drinking you know bread all night I feel kind of fine so i had a couple of experiences you know personally where i guess i was fortunate to not look at stouts as some exclusive winter thing but is uh is being enjoyed all year. Like you said, not a twelve percenter, but that's where the dry Irish comes in. You you're hunting for that experience. Great, grab some oysters, grab a stout, and you're gonna have a blast every time. I couldn't agree more. And I wanna keep talking about dry Irish stouts and the history and the reason to drink them, but you're just gonna have to take our word for it because we've got an old friend of mine, uh Elliot Sarkazian, who runs high brewery it's a, a homebrew page but uh we drank one of his beers in season two. Oh yeah and for beer 101 the feature for this episode is the brew day so uh elliot's elected to kind of join us on a on an interview i'm going to be talking to him and harrison about the things you do to get ready for your brew day um, we're going to break for a quick second and then you guys will be listening to the interview we did with elliot and harrison Uh, talking about making your own beer at home. We promised you we were going to keep doing this Beer 101 series, and I'm fortunate enough that Harrison is still involved in it. And we've also got Elliot, who runs High Brewing, uh, which is a homebrew page on Untapped. We drank some of his beers last season, and Harrison's about to crack one open for this Beer 101 series. Uh, Elliot, do you mind kind of catching us up and letting us know just a little bit about 
you know, what's it like managing a homebrew page on Untapped? And more importantly, what's Harrison about to pour into his glass? Mm. All right, I'll, well, I'll start out with what Harrison's pouring since he's got a little game on right now. Um, so this is the Global Hazy Days. It's just a new riff on a hazy Ooh. IPA that I've been doing. Um, I wanted to do a little bit more of a West Coast style Ooh. hazy IPA. So I did a yeah. little bit more uh, skunky notes and mm -hmm. a little dankness to it, but still has a nice little juicy quality to it from some uh, mandarina bavaria hops mm. and then um i added uh some yeah. southern cross to it as well get a little Ooh, nice. more uh, some notes to it mm. but um i wanted a little bit more kind of uh like i said hot punch to it yeah i'm not a huge fan of those big juicy uh east coast ipas right oh this is that the mandarina bavaria that's a hop we mess around with a little bit at the brewery and it's i mean i i love this dial it's so killer um or this this uh, this is this is great. This is awesome, man. And it's yeah, hazy as heck. But but oh, a, yeah. a, a nice haze, not like a weird kind of old orange juice. It looks beautiful. Yeah, no, I love this one. I mean, with the same flaked oats and, and flaked wheats, like you okay. normally would add to get that little mouthfeel that you would yeah. want from a, a hazy. So it has a little bit more body to it. Nice. But it kind of toned that down a little bit. But I mean, you got to have some cloudiness to it. I've had a couple of hazies lately that they say are hazy. I'm like, they're still pretty clear. <laughs> most of it's, it's marketing yeah. yep yeah right. oh yeah <laughs> right this lager didn't turn out well well it's a hazy ipa now oh, <laughs> exactly <right>. exactly <laughs> yeah uh, but as not. for for like um trying to manage a homebrew account on untapped and everything it's actually been a lot of fun and enjoyable for myself and my friends kind of uh keeping track of what i'm brewing which is really nice for my recipes and everything like that and my friends enjoy it because they'll be able to go on there and check in the beers that I actually make. Yeah. And I can see when I send them out to people across the U.S. actually now that I've done. Even I've sent a couple out to Hawaii Ooh, uh, cool. not too long ago. That was very expensive. Don't I don't recommend doing that. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, But it's, it's neat seeing getting people's feedback and yeah. from it. Because I know my friends, when they come over and drink it, no matter what, they're going to tell me it's good because they want more of it. Good friends. But, good friends. Yeah. But so when I send it out to these right. people like you, yourself, and Harrison, it's just nice getting the feedback and everything like that from what I'm Ooh. brewing. Mm. This is opening up amazingly. This is awesome. Wow. What did you say? It was Mandarina Bavaria. What else in here? Mandarina Bavaria, Southern Cross, right. uh, Wakata. Wakata. Yeah. I always yeah. can't pronounce that one. Right. whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Holotera or Holotera. Yeah. 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 Blanc. yeah, Blanc. yeah, Blanc. I, yeah. I wanted that one because I wanted a little bit of that grape note to it, like yes. that white wine kind of yeah, grapey yeah. nose that you would get. So it almost kind of has that little dryness that you would get mm -hmm. from it, it as well. This is great. You're, I'm, I'm loving hearing you talk about it too because I'm getting out because like, a little bit of grape. It's like dancing in there. The mandarina is definitely very present, but I'm definitely getting some of that. Those notes you are you get from Helena Blanc as well, and it's just really well made. It's this is awesome. And I'm pumped to hear more about your system today as we go through this beer 101. Um, because this is this is great, and you're able to make it at home, so uh, um, oh, yeah, it, it, that's awesome. Yeah, so and I think, yeah, I, I'm drinking a different beer of Elliot's, it's a rye brown ale called Rye So mm -hmm. Gloomy. Elliot, I'll gladly give you my review after uh, we get done recording. Any of you listening that want to check it out, uh, follow me on Untapped or check out High Brewing's uh, Untapped page. You can oh, see yeah. people checking into his home brews wherever you are, which is pretty cool. But 
Uh, let's get to this beer 101, which I am so excited about. I'm doing almost no work at all, and we're going to get great <laughs> feedback uh, from the perspective of a home brewer, which is, I think, exactly what Harris and I want to encourage everyone to try. Um, and a little bit of feedback from Harrison on how that would work in a commercial scenario. So, so far in the Beer 101 series, we've covered all four ingredients that go into a beer. We've covered where you get them. Um, Elliot's going to be answering the questions. Harrison's going to be giving feedback as well. We'll kind of have more of a, I don't know, like a town hall meeting on this Beer 101. But I want to open it up with Elliot. So you brew your beers at home which means you have a really supportive family or (laughs) (laughs) Um, brewing your beers at home. You've got your ingredients, right? Hops, malt, yeast, water, ideally with some recipe, everything's planned out. But I mean, what's it like, Elliot? What do you have to do to set up before you're mashing in in the kitchen? Like what goes into getting ready to brew? So for me, it's kind of like because I come from a culinary background, the previous chef, um, it kind of comes down to um, something which you might recognize, John, called mise en place Absolutely. in the culinary world. Um, for those who don't know what mise en place is, it's actually something really nice to have throughout your life in work or in food, of course, and brewing. And it basically means to put in place or your organization, basically. Um, so basically, I always do my mise en place when I get ready for a brew day, which is basically means getting all my ingredients laid out, weighed, um, anything measurements I need to do, getting all my equipment sanitized and ready, set, go for me. Um, my paperwork's all out. My apps are open for my brewing process and everything like that. So basically all I have to do at that point is hit a button and it's game on at that point to start brewing. But it really comes down to organization and everything of that nature. That almost sounds easier than I wanted you to make it sound. Uh, You're absolutely right. Mise en place is the, that's what I think of when I go back into the culinary world. As an Italian, we would also say quanto basta, which just means the right amount. Mm -hmm. And that's a good difference between the Italian method and the French method. um, (laughs) Either way, hopefully we end up with food and or beer. Harrison, I know you're familiar with this process. Is it really any different when you're brewing at a large scale, the, that, the kind of the preparation that goes into getting ready to brew a beer? Sure. I think, I mean, essentially, no. The advantage I had was that I, I was part of a brew team. So that kind of organization, it wasn't never just on me. I always had an assistant brewer and the brew shift before us was in charge of setting up a lot for us. And then in turn, at the end of my brew shift, I would set up for the next brew shift that so you come in. And right away, start mashing in. And that's kind of the key is when your shift starts, you want to be mashing in quickly so you're not kind of holding up the next shift because you would run 24 hours a day, like seven days a week. So if you messed up, you could like <laughs> the domino effect was was pretty brutal or could be. So uh, we had an awesome system there. It was just a whole team of people working towards it all the time um, where I could come in and mash in right away. All the conversation I had to do itself was already done ahead of time, which is uh, – which was nice at six o'clock in the morning when it's cold and you're hungry and have a sleep and might might walk into an imperial stout and eat a mash in, which will you know take every ounce of strength in your body to accomplish. But uh, nice, all I had to do was focus on that and uh, and get it done. So I, I I can tell Harrison that you've brewed that before uh, that imperial stout at six in the morning. Any, uh, mm. I want to give you a, just like take a minute and, and, and give us a, uh, a minute, like any 
experience or points to help out our listeners who might be getting ready to, you know, do their first mash in at home before we get technical. I'm going to ask Elliot the same question, but I'll give him a second to think about it. Sure. And he'll, he'll probably dive into more of this, but for me, it was all about kind of, for us, it was all about water temperature and making sure that's, you know, dialed in for the recipe based on the, you know, the beer you were brewing and then hunting for dough balls, which is always a kind of a common term. I actually heard first, yeah. And home brewing was, you don't want to make sure you're mashing in. You want to make sure that all the grain is covered in water and a dough ball would be like a packet of, you know, a little bump, if you will, in that mash of oats or grain or whatever that it wasn't getting, hit with any water and therefore wasn't doing anything for you. So kind of mixing around and making sure there were no dough balls. And then of course, most importantly, always mash in. So if you have a mash paddle and you're actually mashing in and stirring it yourself clockwise, never counterclockwise because that will summon Satan and <laughs> someone will probably eat your lunch as punishment for doing something like that. And then you're hungry and tired and, you know, no meatball sandwich for you. So some essentials, a little bit of lore there built in, but it, it's all part of a brew day. Mash in clockwise sounds really important. Um, Elliot, <laughs> what, what about you? Like doing this from home, like do you have like cereal and oatmeal and a bag of grain? Have you found any ways to make home brewing a little bit less messy? Um, yeah. So, I mean, basically I start out like almost any home brewer does. You have a bunch of pots and kettles and things like that that you put on propane burners. Um, so basically it's like he was saying, the hardest part truthfully is trying to keep that temperature, uh, at a consistent, uh, setting at all times. And, um, yes, dough balls are no fun at all. I need to start practicing uh, going clockwise though a little bit more often. I, I need to get that one down pat. Um, but yeah, those are, those are no joke. They really can mesh up or mess up your mash, uh, extremely bad. Um, but it really comes down. And then I think the second hardest thing that I really had to do after my first and second batches, uh, was sanitation that would really came down to keeping everything clean after the boil. That was probably the hardest, hardest part, just making sure I sanitized whatever spoons and scissors and whatever other kind of utensils I was going to be using to get near that, uh, uh wart basically. Totally understandable. I have a hard time doing that, like just making sandwiches for lunch. Um, <laughs> and those sandwiches get eaten right away. They don't sit in the closet for a while. Let's, <laughs> let's so good ones. Right. Let's, let's. All right. So some quick tips in the beginning. Let's get a little bit more technical and, and kind of cover some of the process. I'm going to ask these questions and I want Harrison and Elliot both to have a chance to kind of give us some feedback for those of you listening at home. We're going to kind of begin at the point where you've got your grain ready to go, whether that be milled or extract. We already talked about grain in the malt episode, and it's time to mash in. So Harrison, when you're mashing in, what does that, I mean, like, let's start simple. What does that mean? Are we just making oatmeal in a hot pot? Like, can you spend a, a minute or two and just kind of describe that process for us? Right. I mean, essentially, right. If you stopped after mashing in, you would have a lot of oatmeal you could go and eat. Although it probably, I don't know how great it would taste to be more of like a, a meal mixture of different grains, unless you're making some ridiculous oat single malt pale ale, and that would be a mess and be like stirring cement. So don't do that um, unless you hate your shoulders. But really, I mean, for me, it was mostly, right, cold. It's in the morning. We're mashing. I'm standing up on a brew stand. I have a huge mash paddle that's taller than me. Someone else is running our auger and the actual uh, mill. So 
the grain itself is uncracked when you drop it into before it goes into the the mash tun and it gets cracked through the, the the actual mill itself and runs up an auger which is basically like a fancy elevator get that grain into the mash tun and as that's happening and the, the grain starting to drop in from the top of the mash tun you're also running in water again at this specified temperature based on the the recipe and yeah mixing it up and making sure at that point you know again it's the the level you have a floating grain bed you don't want to have your grain collapse on itself because you're adding grain faster than you're adding water and therefore you can get a, you can get a stuck mash when that happens really make a centrally cement it doesn't allow any water to move through it so these are kind of things in the back of your head but if you're mashing in aggressively and you're really really you know rocking and rolling on that paddle that's why iron maiden and king diamond and stuff really helps at six in the morning to get you pumped up because you don't want to be half asleep up there you need to be kind of in the zone and 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 uh basically think imagine you're running hills in high school that kind of mentality um to get through it so you're so you're just mashing it like crazy stirring up a bunch of right down essentially oatmeal um and uh and yeah, maybe having a drink in your hand. It depends. If the overnight team was already canning, you walk in, maybe you have a fresh IPA that's ice cold waiting for you when you're done, which is always Ooh. nice. Although weird now to think that at a time in my life at 6.15 in the morning, I was drinking a beer at work and everyone was like, good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you've earned it. But uh, but but it was. <laughs> that that was real. Um, yeah, but it was, uh, yeah, a lot of sweat and tears and rock and roll. So mashing in the beginning of a really easy pro- – no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Elliot, you do this at home. I don't know if you have a brew stand or like a, a step stool, but I want to ask you about the, the, the point that Harrison mentioned, like keeping that temperature consistent. How do you deal with that at home? Um, and any, any tips for like is, – is it different mashing in on a, on a smaller batch, anything that you've encountered – uh, at the beginning of some of your beers? Um, truthfully, not too much of a difference because I've helped out some friends that do have breweries out where I live. So I've kind of, I've been able to see what goes on in a big commercial brewery versus my uh, garage, basically. Um, I will say the biggest difference is uh, when I first, when you basically first started, some people still do their whole propane thing. The gas is much harder to keep that temperature going when you're trying to mash in. So I finally stepped up to all electric. So it's, much more consistent and everything like that is basically just hitting a button and setting a temp. Um, but it is you when you have to add the grain a lot slower at a home brewery because you have to add it, stir it, add it, stir it compared to where you have the water and the grains kind of cycling at the same time. So you kind of have a, a method going with a basically like a math uh, setup going so you can kind of figure out how much water is going in at the same time. Um, but it really comes down to just keeping that temperature the adding the grain slowly stirring like crazy so you just a heck of a workout no matter what it's going to be a good workout um and just yet again uh just getting those ingredients to not get stuck to the bottom because it does it will stick a sticker mash and the water will not go through it especially when you're trying to recirculate the wort through it to get all those sugars and everything out of it that does affect it greatly so Stirring and arm strength so far are sounding like the most important thing. Scientifically, temperature control, of course. Um, so, Elliot, it provided we're able to keep up the stirring and mashing in effectively. Now, I've got 
a, a giant mess, really, but in there is <laughs> water, which later turns it helps us make beer. How do you so now that you've stirred and you've got this giant mess of grain and hot water and, and effectively this beautiful magic elixir called wort? How do you then, especially at home, how do you get the wort separated from all the used up grain? So um, basically for us at, at home brewers, a lot of us have grain baskets inside of our pots and everything like that, where we can actually lift up the grains uh, above the actual wort liquid or the liquor of it, basically. And then, just, of course, just like anything in a regular brewery is a sparge where you have to end up washing the grains down with some water to pull off as many of those extra sugars that have kind of stuck to everything in the long run. So basically you're making like liquid oatmeal, like he was like Harrison was talking about earlier, which the stuff actually is pretty darn delicious when you taste it <laughs> at that stage. Um, it's very sticky too. I mean, it's like, sometimes it's like glue depending on the alcohol content and stuff that you're kind of shooting for, but it really comes down to just washing it. Um, that grain basket, I've seen uh, some friends that have hooked up little like uh, mechanisms in the, in their garages. So they can actually have like a pulley system to help lift up the grains. Cause they get extremely, extremely heavy once they get waterlogged. I mean, that 15 pounds of grains turns into 30, 40 pounds very easily once they're, once they're wet. Hold yep. I'm I'm envisioning Harrison like at a commercial brewery having like a winch system hooked up to a Jeep <laughs> to pull that grain basket out. Is right. uh, Please tell me it works a little bit differently right. than a Jeep and a winch. Yep. Fortunately, yeah, it does, John. However, when I started homebrewing, I was the pulley system. I, I started homebrewing <laughs> with two guys who were, you know, much older than me, showed me the ropes. And right, like little did I know the first day I showed up excited to make beer for the first time, they were probably chuckling like, perfect, a young 21 year old who will lift all the heavy stuff for us. Um, so that was, yeah, just like Ellie described it, kind of lifting that grain out, uh, out of the actual mash and then starting to boil with it. But for a commercial brewery, um, you know, fortunate, right. That we're going to transfer that all that after, as we mash out and start to sparge transfer, uh, through a series of pumps, uh, into the brew kettle, uh, which is what we did. Sometimes you can go to a lottering ton, depends on what your system is and how many vessels you have and your setup. Uh, I worked on pretty much only two vessel systems. So you had your mash ton and your brew kettle. And, but it, the, again, the science is always the same. It's just that the scale and what kind of machinery do you have to make it, make it happen. And for commercial brewery, yep, you're vorloffing or recirculating that wort through the grain bed again to help clear it up. Then you're, you know, transferring over to your brew kettle and, starting to sparge so you can keep that grain bed floating. So again, it doesn't collapse on itself because there's no water there supporting the grain and mess everything up um, and getting over the brew kettle um, and, uh, and getting ready to boil and, uh, and, and move along with the brewing process. I think a great explanation. So we've gotten, we've taken grain and mixed it with hot water and gotten some sugar into water, liquor, wort, mm -hmm. and then we've cleaned it up. So now you've got this kettle full of hot liquor. What comes next, Harrison? How do I, uh, what's the next step? Really, you're trying to get it to at that point, boil as quick as possible. Uh, I've worked with a couple different systems. Some are direct fire, which is really, it's basically like a giant kettle. You have a, a like a firebox in the bottom of the kettle that, you fill with natural gas we did it lights it up from the bottom to the top and and starts to boil as you can imagine with the amount of volume we're dealing with a lot of times ours were like 212 i think or maybe more gallon uh batches we were doing uh if not twice that much sometimes um 
uh, it takes a long time to heat all that up. So I also use steam jacketed, uh, a couple of breweries I worked at, steam jacketed brew kettles where you, you're running just hot steam through the walls of them all the way to the top. So you're not having to boil from the top to the bottom, but everything's heating up at once. And those things can boil very quickly. That's your goal is to get that thing boiling, get a rolling boil going so you can begin your boil and start adding hops and other ingredients, adjuncts if that's required for the recipe and really start the brewing part of the brew day, which begins when that beer is, is boiling and a big old rolling boil. It should look like someone's, you know, like a jaws attack is happening under the water there. It should be really aggressive and a lot of bubbles and stuff. Um, that's a big mistake. A lot of homebrewers make early on is they'll maybe be using a thermometer and wait till it hits like two twelve, or they'll see a couple little bubbles and they'll go, right, we're boiling. Let's go. Let's start adding hops out of excitement. And you're better off waiting and, and waiting longer and making sure it's a rolling boil than adding hops too early. The boiling is really what's going to make those hops, if they're bittering hops earlier or aroma hops later, do what they should in that final product in that beer. You have to have a big old rolling boil going. So forget the thermometer there. Look, use your eyes, use your gut, and make sure that thing's really cooking along. Um, and then, yeah, you're, you're, you're off and running. Look for the Jaws attack. That was a great description. <laughs> rolling boil. Um, I'm envisioning like trying to mirror this at home. Um, I love where at the point now we reference this on the podcast, like the bittering hops added in the boil. Um, mm-hmm. This is this is the part of uh, making a beer where you're introducing hops to it. Uh, Elliot, when you're doing this at home, is it the same? Is making a giant pot of pasta uh how do you do to to handle the boil while you're at home and keep up right with those early hop additions versus late hop additions do you have a method that's worked well for you um i mean timers i i am obsessed with timers when i'm uh, doing my hop additions and everything i probably have three or four timers going off at all different times with my yet again like you said the bittering hops the flavor hops the aroma hops so i have all those different timers 60 minutes 30 minutes whatever i need um so Timers are your best friend when it comes to um, hop additions and boil times and everything of that nature. Um, just like Harrison said, that you've got to use your eyes. You got to. I always wait at least at least ten more minutes. Once I say think it comes up to a boil, I at least let right. it go for another ten minutes to make sure that boils at a nice consistent boil. Because um, I have found in you know, in past batches where I once I see those boils that boil start, I start my timer. I do my sixty minutes, and I've noticed a difference in the amount of um the alpha acids and everything like that, they get pulled out of the hops itself. So I do notice like, patience ends up being your best friend too when it comes to brewing. Well said. And I think everyone could benefit from having a little more patience. Um, hopefully, no, I'm just, um, everyone really more patience. That's, that should be your 2020 goals. We all have. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so at this point, you know, we've, we've, we've made a mess of our water. Uh, by adding a bunch of sugar to it and then we cleaned it out and now we added a bunch of hops to it and i'm i'm not vain enough to assume that's how we get hazy beers elliot when you know you've got all these hops or hot pellets added to your wort at this point how do you what's the process like to now clean those out so um there are some people that uh, literally just will add the hops and everything just to the straight boil. I've learned that my best friend in the uh, hop edition world is a hop spider, which is basically just a huge, very, very fine mesh sieve. Um, stainless steel, of course, got to be in heat and food grade safe. 
Um, but that becomes your best friend in keeping all those particles out from plugging up your hoses and everything of that, especially your pumps and everything like that. Um, and then, uh, depending if you are making a hazy or if you're not, there's things like uh, Irish moss and warflock and other uh, clarifiers that you can basically add to those. Um, of course, in a hazy, I'm not going to add that to those because I don't want any. I want all that basically particles and everything inside of it to still be there. Um, and then, of course, adding things yet again like uh, um, your oats and things, your uh, flaked oats and flaked wheats. Um, they always add a little bit more of a cloudy effect than just straight grains do. And they'll also give you more of that mouthfeel that you would want for a hazy IPA or a hazy stout, which I've done before, which actually is pretty a pretty solid version of a stout in the long run. And then, so is this kind of all right? You've got this really hot liquid. You've kind of cleaned it up through a sieve. Um, do, you, do you want, tell me about cooling that down. Is that, uh, do you just put it in the fridge and hope for the best like I do when I'm done making soup? <laughs> so when I first started, before I actually had all my equipment and I was given some equipment from a previous brewer, um, you basically fill up an ice tub or a bathtub with ice and you fill up yep. your sink with ice and you drop yep. that kettle inside there and you add a ton of salt to that ice just like if you're making ice cream basically and you just start stirring it it and make sure that uh, spoon is sanitized because you will have a kettle sour very quickly if you don't <laughs> do it that way um but i mean it's just ice and salt was your best friend when you first started brewing and then you start doing investments of wort chillers which is basically just like a copper coil um that you can either drop in an ice bath and have the uh, the wort run through that and chill it um, I finally got one that has a, a hose around the actual copper coil so I can hook up a hose to that so it runs cold nice. water around the copper coil at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it chills the beer in a matter of about five minutes and I can add it to the fermenter, which is awesome, especially for time saving because a big key, once you get everything done with the boil and all your hop additions and our hop stands and whirlpools and everything like that is uh, cooling off that wort as fast as possible to your fermentation temperature to add your yeast. You don't want to wait, say, three hours for it to cool down. You want to get that down within, I always say, 30 minutes or less if you can. That's your, like, you want to get that down as fast as possible just to make sure no bacteria or anything of that is, is getting inside of it and growing. Awesome. Awesome advice. And uh, Harrison, I assume for a commercial brewery, you have Mr. Freeze come in and blast it with a ray gun. Essentially. Uh, is it is it just is it just a large scale version of a giant ice bath? How's that work? In you know when you're talking about doing a you know fifty barrel brew on a Thursday, right? Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a very again the science is the same. Even like the methodology is the same. It just a slight different equipment where instead of a wort chiller, where a lot of the times like an immersion wort chiller, you actually put in the beer or sticking your kettle in a bathtub full of ice. We just do it differently with through a heat exchanger where you're running, just like Elliot just described, really cold water, basically alongside your really hot wort, and it's absorbing that heat. Well, never that water never touches the, the wort, uh, pulling it out of that wort uh, through a giant. Basically, it looks like a it looks like a fancy pool filter. Ours was humongous, though. It was like seven feet tall and full of just plate chillers stacked on top of each each other that a bunch of hoses running through it with cold water and wort. And yeah, that knocked down the temperature sometimes too fast too and too cold rather too fast. Uh, so that was, that was another game of like balancing between like, all right, as soon as it comes out and it's really, really hot, you're going to hit that heat exchanger the first time. It's going to be different two minutes later 
after that cold water is really ripping through it, uh, how quickly that temperature is dropping. But Elliot's exactly correct. Like that, as soon as the boil stops, this clock goes off in your head of like, all right, we need to transfer this beer. We, we, call, we call it knockout. We need to knock this beer out quick as possible because at that point, time is your enemy. Everything in the air can and get in this beer and destroy it. You got to get it into a tank, a sanitized tank, and get the yeast in there, which is already in the tank. We, we pre-pitched all our beers. So you would just knock into the tank and seal it up and walk away and, uh, and let it do its thing. Um, uh, so we don't have to worry about secondary contaminations there, you know, transferring and then opening up a hatch and throwing some yeast in there. Ours were always already sealed off before the beer got in. Which is great, but yeah, you're always thinking like, "crap, I got to do this fast and and uh, and actually, you know, uh, and not mess this thing up." So that's always the most the trickiest part. It's also the trickiest part in terms of like the number of valves you have to open at once because like a lot of the basically what you do at a, a commercial brewery is you're making a giant loop where a hose goes from the brew kettle to the fermenter, um, and then. At the same time, you've got the cold water. Well, um, and and so what you've got to do, though, because there is going to be, you know, <laughs> as soon as you open up that that valve at the end of that system, uh, you got to like start moving beer through it right away. But it can't. You can't open it up and have it go right into the tank because that's just like we. That's just air that exists in the world that's not sanitized. So what you have to do basically is open up the tank at the bottom of the brew kettle and then run to the fermenter and open up the valve that goes to like the floor, basically the drain that'll push out whatever is in that hose, which is usually like sand. It's usually, well, for us, it was like 300 degree water. That's how we would we'd pasteurize the whole system beforehand, running like 300 degree water through it for like 30 minutes, but knock all that water into the drain and then switch, shut the valve as soon as you hit beer and shoot that beer into the tank. But that was like a stressful, what sounds like a long time, like 10 seconds of like, we're knocking out, run to the tank where the beer is going, shoot all the water out of the drain, shoot the beer into the tank, switch all these valves, open up the tank so you're, because that tank's got head pressure on it because it's it's got air in it. Now you're putting liquid somewhere where there's already gas, there's already air, that's got to go somewhere. So you got to give that an escape. So there's all this stuff going on like very quickly. It was one of like the funnest parts of brewing, but also like you were juggling always. And then the whole entire time watching the level of the cold liquor tank drop probably and making sure it didn't go too low before you were done knocking out so that's definitely the most difficult part of the day and it's the end and you're tired too which is like this added element of of uh of juggling but again it was always so much fun because you knew as soon as it was done that was it your day was done beer o'clock let's go to sleep (laughs) and and that's That's true 101 right on up through a 301 course Um, (laughs) it might have been (laughs) if you followed all that plumbing in your head just Uh, to open the brewery but so that's it that's we've now we've got hot or actually cooled down we've got beer ready to go of course you know this isn't the end of so far it's just been really aggressive stirring uh, and temperature (laughs) changes we still need to cover fermentation and we're going to get to that on episode 19, which will be coming up next and drinking socially. Yeah. But I want to take a second and say to Elliot, thanks so much. It was honestly, it was great having you here yes. for the brew day episode. Uh, I hope and assume you're going to get a few people to ask you a question or two. Uh, like is a hop spider uh, an endangered creature? Are they poisonous? 
Um, what's the best way for someone to find or connect with you on social media or look at your brewery page? Elliot, do you got any uh, advice for those type of people looking to connect? Um, oh, yeah. Feel free to shoot me some questions if you're looking to start up some home brewing or if you're already home brewing, you want to look into getting um, upgrading your systems, which I finally did after almost eight years uh, going from propane to electric, which I still think is the best thing I've ever done in my life. Um, but uh, yeah, I have my Instagram page just for high brewing. And then uh, you can see high brewing on untapped, of course, or you can uh, follow me and see what I'm even drinking and uh, ask questions just on high IPA on untapped. But yeah, feel free to shoot me some questions on uh, on Instagram and I'd be more than happy to give you some advice or shoot you in a direction that I think might help you. Awesome. awesome. Thanks again uh, for joining us for the interview. Uh, and, and I could see Harrison's face light up uh, with, with thoughts of the homebrew day. It's been outstanding having you. Um, we're going to wrap yes. up this episode. But those of you listening, uh, check out the show notes. We'll have links to Elliot's brewery page on untapped and uh ways to connect with him on social media as well man it's always good to talk to people about beer i'm fortunate working at untapped that that's part of my job and role here but uh great session great talking to you guys about like actually taking these ingredients and turning them into beer harrison what can we be looking forward to in the next episode yeah so coming up the next episode brewing 101 we're going to focus on fermentation um, we'll be featuring two new beers. We'll announce those in the Facebook group a little bit early, so keep your eyes out for that. Um, otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to Drinking Socially. You can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, on and on and on, Podcast Podcast. <laughs> Click the subscribe button if you like the episodes, or check us out on YouTube and actually kind of watch along as Harrison and I spill beer all over our desks. <laughs> otherwise... <laughs> We'll see you in two weeks. Cheers. <laughs>